Hey there, my name is Jackie, and I am your host of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. Remember to visit homeschoolthinktank.com to learn more about how we serve homeschooling families. Also, if you check the link in the show notes below, you can get more information about anything that is mentioned in this episode. I hope you enjoy this episode about homeschooling and parenting, and be sure to check in on Mondays for our episode that is all about mindset. Today, I want to visit with you about classical education, what that is, what the purpose of it is, what it looks like. So I first want you to know I am not an expert in classical education. However, I have done a ton of homework about this and I feel that I can effectively explain it to you at this point. I've watched a ton of YouTube videos, read many, many articles at this point. And I actually did start out using a classical education model when we began homeschooling. And at the end of this episode, I am going to share some of my thoughts about that with you. Also, in the future, I will definitely be bringing somebody on to interview about classical education who has more expertise in this. And I want you to know that if you check the link that goes with this podcast episode, that in that article, when I do interview someone else about classical education, I will link to that interview so that you can easily find it. So if you listen to this long after it's been released, definitely check for that. So let me get started with what I know about classical education at this point. So it began in ancient Rome and Greece with philosophers like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and St. Augustine. So this method of education clearly has ancient roots, but it still has value as an educational philosophy today. So you could say that the purpose of this type of education is to cultivate a mind pursuant of truth. And you could also say that the purpose of classical education is to teach children how to think and what to do. And while I heard that sentiment in many videos, I would like to give credit to that statement by Martin Cothran from Memoria Press. So he says, the purpose of of a classical education is to teach children how to think and what to do, and that when schools were using a classical education, they were trying to form wise and virtuous students. And ultimately, it is an education model that is designed to teach people how to serve So my understanding is that a classical education model focuses on two main components. First, students of this method will learn the seven liberal arts, and I'll explain to you in a moment what that is. Second, students will learn about virtue or character using the great books, and I'll explain that a bit more in a moment as well. So the seven liberal arts are made up of grammar, logic, rhetoric, geometry, 
arithmetic, music, and astronomy. So in the seven liberal arts, you have what's called the trivium. And this would consist of the grammar, the logic, and the rhetoric stage. And then you have the quadrivium. So the other four aspects, geometry, arithmetic, music, and astronomy. Now I'm going to just briefly explain what each of those mean. So grammar, that's basically the rules of language. Logic is basically a proper or reasonable way of thinking that is based in truth. Rhetoric is, in essence, the ability to communicate well through written or spoken word. The quadrivium has geometry, which is the oldest branch of mathematics that deals with distance, shape, size, and space around objects. Arithmetic, which deals with the basics of math, like adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing, raising to powers, and the extraction of roots. Music, which is basically understanding of rhythm, melody, and harmony to appreciate or create vocal or instrumental sound. And astronomy, the study of the sun, moon, stars, planets, and galaxies. So the other part of a classical education includes reading the great books of the Western world. And according to Wikipedia, the great books of the Western world is a series of books originally published in the United States in 1952 by Encyclopedia Britannica to present great books in a 54-volume set. The original editors had three criteria for including a book in the series drawn from Western civilization. The book must have been relevant to contemporary matters, and not only important in its historical context, it must be rewarding to reread repeatedly with respect to liberal education, and it must be a part of the great conversation about the great ideas relevant to at least 25 of the 102 great ideas as identified by the editor of the series Comprehensive Index, what they dub as the Syntopicon, to which they belonged. And the Syntopicon is a two-volume index published as volumes two and three of Encyclopedia Britannica's collection, Great Books of the Western World. The books were not chosen on the basic of ethnic and cultural inclusiveness, historical influence being seen as sufficient by itself to be included, nor on whether the editors agreed with the views expressed by the authors. A second edition was published in 1990 in 60 volumes. Some translations were updated, some works were removed, and there were significant additions from the 20th century located in six new separate volumes. So what I have done is include several lists of the great books, and actually the one from Wikipedia seems to have the most comprehensive list, but I've also included a list that breaks them down by grade level, that you might want to take a look at so that you can introduce your children to the great books at more appropriate stages. But some of the books that you might find are the Iliad, the Odyssey, Antigone, the writings of Plato, Aristotle, Hippocrates, 
William Shakespeare, Sir Isaac Newton, John Locke, Jonathan Swift, Gulliver's Travels, the writings of Sigmund Freud, Ernest Hemingway, and the list just goes on and on. But when your child uses a classical education model over the course of all of their school years, they will read a large number of the great books, if not all of them. And the purpose of reading the great books is to learn about history, to learn about science, but it is also to learn about virtue and to learn what you ought to do through reading. And children gain a lot of lessons about character when they read. So after recording this episode, I continued to do more research. And what I found was that there are two criticisms of the Great Books collections or collection. And one is a lack of female writers. There are not many. And two is a lack of focus on equality. So I would like to say that I believe personally that if you use this model of education, that it is important to supplement the great books with other books. And to be sure to read books that are written by female authors and about other cultures. So that's really all I have to say about that at this time. But just be sure to read many other books as well. And something I personally am still not completely clear about, and I hope to be more clear about in the future, and I'll share that with you when I am, is if the great books is truly limited to that collection that Encyclopedia Britannica put out, or if when people use the word the words, the great books, if they're sometimes also including other great books that may not actually be on that list. And I do think it depends on who you're talking to. That's sort of my thought here. But like I said, I'm not totally clear on that myself. So there's the official great books collection, but there are also many other great books. And I actually would love to hear what books you think every child ought to read. You could actually leave that in the comments for this episode. All right, let's get back with the episode. So a classical education model is a very comprehensive model of education for sure. Your children will definitely know a lot and they will build on this over the years. Now let's go on and explain a little bit more. So A classical education model is broken up into three stages over the child's years of education, their school years, so to speak. And this is called the trivium. Now, don't confuse this with the trivium we talked about before. That was, you know, there was the trivium of the seven liberal arts, the grammar, logic, and rhetoric stage, and then the other four, the quadrivium, geometry, arithmetic, music, and astronomy. The trivium here is still the same things, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, but the words are used a bit differently. So the grammar stage is, in this, when they're talking about the stages of classical education more than not necessarily the liberal arts model here, 
it, the grammar stages from first to fourth grade, basically your elementary years. The logic stage is from fifth to eighth grade, basically your middle school years. And the rhetoric stage is from ninth to twelfth grade, basically your high school years. So classical education depends on this three-part process. So basically, in the grammar stage, you dive into all of these things at a lower level. You repeat it in the logic stage and again in the rhetoric stage. But you're always increasing your depth of knowledge and your ability to speak and write about these areas the older a child gets. So in the early years, children are absorbing facts. They're laying the foundation for advanced study. In the middle grades, students are learning to think through arguments. And in the high school years, they learn to express themselves. And this classical pattern is called the trivium. And I've paraphrased this from an article that Susan Wise Bauer wrote that is called What is a Well-Trained Mind? And I've cited that in the article that goes with this episode. That's the gist of how a classical education model works. All right, now I'm going to give you a little bit of my experience trying to use a classical education model. I can look back for where I am now and wish I would have pursued it a bit more, but differently than I tried to do. I started this way and I actually followed the recommendations from the well-trained mind for the first several years of homeschooling my kids because it definitely seemed like a really great education model. And I think it can be with some kids, but definitely was difficult, especially with one of my kids. But I sometimes felt that the lessons were too advanced for a child's age. Like in third grade, they're diagramming sentences. And very simple diagrams are one thing, but it just keeps going and going. And that's about when we gave it up because it was not working. And now in, in hindsight, I think maybe we should have laid off in the diagramming of sentences and continued with some other parts and aspects of it and come back to that later because I thought I didn't even learn how to diagram sentences till I was in sixth grade. So I felt that the model sometimes tried to push kids too quickly and it lost us because of that. So my take is if this interests you, give it a try, but give yourself permission to adjust lessons, to do things a little bit differently. Don't feel like you have to do every little thing that is recommended. And if your kids are crying at the kitchen table like mine were, that's not effective. It's one thing to encourage a child to work through their struggles. It's another thing to just be pushing them to do something that they're flat out not ready to do. It just doesn't even make sense to them. And so I think you need to to be flexible if you're going to use this model. 
And I really think focus on reading books. <laughs> you know, the, the math is great and the recommendations there were, were great. But sort of the same thing. Sometimes we were pushing too hard at too young of an age to do some things. So I think if you can pull out what your children are actually ready for and continue to make progress, it can work. But you have to be willing, in my opinion, to be a little bit flexible if it's not working real well for you. So that's, that's sort of my take on a classical education model. I hope I have explained this well. If you have more questions, definitely see the article that goes with this episode. All right, that's it. You guys take care. There are definitely more styles of homeschooling, and I have many podcast episodes at this point and articles about that, and you will find links to those articles in this article that goes with this episode. All right, bye-bye. You take care. I want to say thank you for listening to the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd like to ask you to take a moment to follow this podcast and share it with a friend. Remember to check the show notes for a link to the article that corresponds with this podcast episode. In this article, we'll include any links that we mentioned in this episode. And remember that you can search all of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast episodes at homeschoolthinktank.com.